Hello and welcome to Family Room Discussions, where you invite me, Dalton Anderson, to your Come Follow Me study, and we discuss ideas, questions, and insights to the week's lesson. Let me be clear, I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I am your average saint trying to build my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures, and I have found that by discussing Come Follow Me with others, it helps me to do just that. My sincere hope is that for those struggling to study Come Follow Me for whatever reason, maybe because you're single and you don't have others to study with, or like me, your kids are still too young to understand English, or really for any other reason, that you will allow me to join your family for about 30 minutes to help with that gospel dialogue. With that, let's start this family room discussion. Brothers and sisters, family and friends, this is episode 27, following along with lesson 26, Alma chapters 23 to 29. And in the introduction it reads, Do you sometimes wonder whether people can really change? Maybe you worry about whether you can overcome poor choices you've made or bad habits you've developed, or you may have similar worries about loved ones. If so, the story of anti-Nephi-Lehi's can help you. These people were the sworn enemies of the Nephites. When Ammon and his brethren decided to preach the gospel to them, the Nephites laughed them to scorn. Killing the Lamanites seemed like a more plausible solution than converting them. But the Lamanites did change, excuse me, did change through the converting power of the Lord. Where once they were known as a hardened and ferocious people, they became distinguished for their zeal towards God. In fact, they never did fall away. Maybe you have false traditions to abandon or weapons of rebellion to lay down, or maybe you just need a little to be a little bit more zealous in your testimony and a little less prone to falling away. No matter what changes you need, Alma 23 to 29 can give you hope that through the atoning power of Jesus Christ, long-lasting change is possible. And I really the two things that stuck out to me there was the first where it says but the Lamanites did change the convert, uh, converting power of the Lord. Um, and I love that. And then continuing on the last line it says uh, the Alma 23 to 29 can give you hope that through the atoning power of Jesus Christ, long lasting change is possible. And that really is what the message of this lesson is, at least for me. And uh, I'm just going to spoil the thing that stuck out this week for me. Uh, I thought through the lesson was that um, I need to offer more grace to everyone else and to myself when it comes to believing people can change. That is the message of the gospel. And that was the good news that Christ delivered and prophets have delivered since the beginning, but that through the atonement of Jesus Christ, uh, we can be redeemed from our fallen natures. And it can be easy, I feel like, at least for me it's easy, to get got, caught into the thinking that, uh, that, you know, people will never change their course of action or because, because someone is such a uh, certain way, that's an awkward way of saying that, but because of someone's nature or the way that they choose to live or, or behave or act or whatever it is, that they will never change, um, that's who they are, and, and yada, yada, yada. And I think, um, I don't consciously notice myself doing it, but as I was reading this lesson and going through it, I recognize that there are times where I definitely will have the unconscious thought of like, yeah, that person will never follow after Jesus Christ. Or, you know, there's, there's no way that I could see them in the temple sort of thing. And and I think that's a it's a very dangerous way of thinking because that goes against the gospel. And if we don't allow that grace for others, we can't expect it for ourselves. And I think sometimes what we're really doing is when we judge other people, at least for me, when I judge other people and believe that they're not capable of change, what I'm really saying is that I don't believe I myself am capable of change. So we'll go through this lesson and talk more about that. That's kind of going to be the underlying theme of, of my thoughts this week. So in the first, uh, first section, first chunk for Ideas for Personal Scripture Study, it says, When God's children accept the gospel, great blessings follow. 
When the king of the Lamanites declared that the word of God should have no obstruction among his people, he opened the doors, the door to great blessings for them. As you read Alma 23 to 29, look for these blessings. How can you ensure that the word of God has no obstruction in your life or in your family? And I was thinking about that question. And I think the thing that like stuck out to me that I needed to be doing is to make sure that the gospel and, and God are like my number one priority in life. And to not let the distractions get in the way of that. And there's so many distractions. And uh, it's funny because sometimes, like there's the obvious ones, right? Like for me, I play video games and I love video games. And I've, I've kind of always been like that. And video games aren't inherently evil, but too obviously too much can be a problem. And I think a lot of my generation struggles with maybe too many, too many hours on the, the console sort of thing. But it's not that it's an evil thing, it's that it's a distraction from what's more important, right? And I think what I was even pondering more and more on is that um, that one's kind of an obvious one in my life, but the ones that are not as obvious are the ones where it's like, uh, so like the news. Um, I, I've noticed lately that like I, I get caught up in the news cycle because I want to be informed about what's going on in the world and it feels like there's so much happening that it's like you don't want to miss anything. But I've also like seen myself where then I'm letting other responsibilities slip because I'm so focused on, on like being up to date on what's happening around the world that I'm not even able to focus on what's happening right here in my own home. And so that's a problem. And I don't think I'm alone in that problem. I think that's something that a lot of us are, are struggling with. And as I think, as I was like really thinking about if, uh, you know, what is the fight on the other side looking like right now? Like we have the veil that's blocking us, but, but what do I imagine it looks like? I mean, if I were Satan, what I would want to do is I would want to distract all the saints and all the followers of Christ, I'd want to distract them from the actual fight that's occurring and get them so caught up in, you know, rumors of wars and actual wars and turning on our neighbors and, and all these things. If I could get, if I were Satan, I could get everyone distracted with that, then I would inhibit and slow down the progress of the church. And I think that's happening. And so getting rid of those distractions is super important to making sure that the gospel flows freely and like it says right here, that it has no obstruction in my life or my family's life. And uh, and that's a struggle and I think it's a fight every day that we have to face, but recognizing that that is indeed a fight is like the first step in my mind. So that was that was, that was was kind of where that led my thoughts to thinking and it, there were immediate changes like I've pulled back on the amount I'm checking the news and seeing what's happening. Um, I'm doing... I've limited my video game playing, like I said, uh, that was one of the obvious ones, but also I'm trying to make sure that I put God first when I wake up. So normally if I wake up, I'll check whatever's on Facebook or I'll, I'll scroll so social media to see what's kind of going on in my friends' lives, but that's putting God in the backseat. And I've, so I've woken up trying to go straight to my scriptures, get on my knees to pray, making sure I start my day, prioritizing it properly. And, uh, like that's, this has been a recent thing. So it's, I should have been doing it always, but I haven't been. So that's what I'm trying to do is reprioritize my life and make sure that God is first and not, you know, my hobbies or, or whatever. So I don't know. And that's a struggle, I think. And I, 
the the thing that's hard is like there's been periods in my life where I've been super good at it, and then periods of my life where I'm not, and like lately it's been a period in my life where I haven't been as good at it, and the I've just through observation have noticed that the times where I'm not as good, my life is like less joyful and less full of meaning. So yeah, that's increased my faith as I try to progress forward of remembering as I do these things and prioritize God, he will make my life more full and, uh, and just better in general. So there are great benefits to trying and doing this. In the next chunk, it talks about my conversion to Jesus Christ and his gospel changes my life. The Lamanites who were visited by Ammon and his brethren seemed to be unlikely candidates for conversion. They were trapped by the traditions of their fathers and their own wickedness. Yet many of them accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ and made fundamental changes in their lives. As a symbol of their own conversion, these Lamanites called themselves anti-Nephi-Lehi's. The meaning of anti in this case is not the same as anti in the Antichrist. Um, that was in the parentheses. So, reflecting on the conversion of these Lamanites might prompt you to ponder your own conversion unto the Lord. One way to study these chapters could be to identify how the conversion of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's changed their lives. The following verses can get you started. Um, and then it goes through these verses. It says, as you ponder the changes of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, consider how your own conversion to Christ is changing you. What do you feel you still need to change so the gospel can have greater power in your life? So I actually went through all these verses. And I just put little things. So in the 23, 6 to 7, I said, quit seeking to find fault uh, with others. And I've already kind of mentioned that. In Alma 23, 17, 18, I said, stop looking for separations or divisions amongst, um, among my brethren, right? Because it's super easy to, to look at someone and say what makes us different. Uh, but I think it's, a, it's the goal of all of us. It should be the goal of all of us is to find what brings us together, which is we're part of the heavenly family. In Alma 24, 11 to 19, I said, bury sins, get rid of them. Um, and so I like, essentially what I'm, what my thought there obviously was like with repentance, make sure it's true repentance, not just a temporary thing. And that's a process, not an event. In Alma 25, 13 to 16, I said, obey the commandments and follow revelation. But I said that, or, or something I was thinking about, excuse me, is that, so in this verse, I'm actually going to jump through and read it because some of my thinking here, the thought process, I think it'll be important to have the context of the scripture. So uh, this was, like I said, so it's 25, 13 to 16. It says, And it came to pass that when the Lamanites saw that they could not overpower the Nephites, they returned again to their own land. And many of them came to dwell in the land of Ishmael and the land of Nephi and to join themselves to the people of God, who were the people of anti-Nephi-Lehi. And they did also bury their weapons of war according as their brethren had. And they began to be a righteous people. And they did walk in the ways of the Lord and did observe to keep the commandments and his statutes. Yea, and they did keep the law of Moses, for it was expedient that they should keep the law of Moses, as yet, for it was not all fulfilled. But notwithstanding the law of Moses, they did look forward to the coming of Christ, considering that the law of Moses was a type of his coming, and believing that they must keep those outward performances until the time that he should be revealed unto them. Now they did not suppose that the salvation came by the law of Moses, but the law of Moses did serve to strengthen their faith in Christ, and thus they did retain a hope through faith unto eternal salvation, relying upon the spirit of prophecy which spake of those things to come. The, those last two verses, the 15 and 16, stuck out to me because uh, even though the church obviously wasn't perfect, it talks about they followed the law of Moses, that um, that they were looking forward to the coming of Christ, and they knew that it was a, like, they still kept the ordinances even though they was it wasn't the full law. And my thought there was like, I've heard about how, you know, people say that the church isn't perfect. And um, kind of as a way... To me, I feel like that's kind of obvious, right? Because the church is made up of, of people and we're not perfect. 
So I, I guess to me, I've never had a problem that the church, like, I don't think that it should be perfect necessarily, right? It's the, that's exactly what the gospel is, right? It's the, the progress towards perfection because God is perfect, but we are not. So the church is a, like a vehicle to help us on our journey to perfection. But I don't, I don't at least go to church expecting to be like, it's a perfect organization because I know it's made up of imperfect people. Um, so that's just the way I've, I've always looked at it. I never had a problem with that, but I've, I've seen, especially on social media a lot where, and a lot lately of attacks of the church, how it's not perfect, how the history isn't perfect. Uh, the people are far from perfect, including church leaders. And I, I think what, the struggle I get isn't the pointing that out. It's the almost the like excuse. Therefore, because the church isn't perfect, then it's not the true church of God, which I feel like that's like um, missing the point, isn't it? I mean, am I wrong? Isn't that kind of away from the point where I don't, I don't know if your expectations, I guess, were that the, the church is perfect then I think someone like probably taught you wrong from the beginning. Um, and it, it's not like I don't understand where the thinking comes from, more of how then your faith is destroyed when you like go through experiences that you learn that, right? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't expect my bishop to be a perfect man. So when I go and counsel with him of... Like if he, if, if I'm offered a calling, I, I go forward in faith, believing that that was through revelation. But I mean, I was offered a calling that, I mean, I hate to say, it, I just did not believe it was necessarily, this was years ago, uh, when I was in a singles ward, um, it was a YSA ward. And I remember I was presented this calling and I was like, you guys just needed to give us callings. Like it just kind of felt like it was handout calling now maybe that like i think that was on me the lesson was on me that i needed to go forward with faith and it like i mean i don't know my thinking's not perfect here i don't i don't feel like but essentially what i feel is that even though i at the time felt and it was probably accurate that the calling which was a uh it was a social media missionary which i'm sure it's a real calling but to this day I, i'm like it's made up that is a made up thing. <laughs> Maybe it's not. I, I don't know. It feels like something you give in a YSA ward that's has 300 active members in it and you have to have callings for everyone. And maybe that's an improper way of thinking. So this is just my honest thoughts. I apologize for the human side, but I remember being frustrated when I received that calling. Cause I was like, I didn't need a calling. I would have been active and come to church either way. Um, and over time, I recognized that the lesson for me wasn't necessarily like, was it an inspired calling from God, as we're often taught that they all they all are. Instead, it was that even if it's not, God will still bless my efforts in my sacrifice to him. So even if it wasn't inspired, that doesn't matter to me. The test for me was that, will I follow God either way? And I think that's like a... I don't know if that all makes sense with where I'm going here, but essentially I just think it's dangerous thinking to expect that just because someone has a calling and that calling was inspired that therefore it makes that person perfect. And I, I mean, I don't even, I don't believe that 
uh, President Nelson is a perfect man. I believe he's significantly far more perfect than I am. Absolutely. And I have a 100% testimony that he is God's prophet who God called to lead the church today. But do I believe that President Nelson is a, a perfect being? I do not. Um, I don't know him personally or have a personal relationship with him. But I, I think I don't need to to know because none of us are perfect. I mean, I've, I've still to this day never met a perfect person. And uh, I've been, I met people that are pretty darn close, though. I'll tell you what. So I don't know. I, I think I've just been worried and concerned that there's this belief that somehow the church has to or should be perfect and that this scripture in particular stood out to me because the point is not that it's a perfect church the point is that the church is growing um changing and progressing the same as all of us the reason being the church is made up of us right imperfect people that are on the path to to god to, to return back to god and on the path to perfection therefore um, I don't know. It's it's kind of like we we turn not just the church, but any organization into almost like a, a human entity, where it's a separate, distinct thing. Like the church should be perfect, even though its members are not. Forgetting that the church is an organization full of imperfect members, and so like any fault of the church is a fault of its members, right? And then to. I don't know, recognize and change and use the atonement, which is like, isn't that the point? Isn't that the path we're all on? So maybe I'm mistaken there and uh, very possible. But to me, their example was perfect. The Lamanites, even though they knew that they were looking forward to the coming of Christ to give them the full law, they continued to believe. They continued to perform the outward performances. Um, they continued in faith. That is the, the test and the purpose of us on this earth. It isn't to have everything given to us all at once. It's to progress and expect progression. So, I don't know. I don't know if my thoughts were like crystal clear there. But to me, that was the scriptural answer for something I've been thinking about. And then finally, in Alma 27, 26 to 30, I said, seek for peace and be honest. Uh, as ways to change. So, in the next one, it's God is merciful. Uh, next chunk, it says... While the sins that Ammon and the anti-Nephi Lehi's had to overcome were likely quite different from anything in your life, we all rely on the mercy of God. What do you find in Alma 24, 7 to 19 and 26, 17 to 22 that helps you understand his mercy? As you read, you might think about these things, uh, the ways you have been invited to repent, your experiences with repentance, how you have tried to avoid sinning again, and the blessings that have come to you through repentance. When you read the verses in this way, what do you learn about God's mercy in your life? There were a couple of verses that stood out to me on this. Number one was in Alma 24, verse 8. It reads, And behold, I thank my great God that he has given us a portion of his spirit to soften our hearts, that we have opened a correspondence with these, bre with these brethren, the Nephites. And um, that reminded me that it is the spirit that like softens our heart. It's, it's Heavenly Father and, and then the Holy Ghost. And... Like, I can't soften someone else's heart just by me. I have to pray that the Holy Ghost is with me and then that I can impart the Holy Ghost and that the Holy Ghost will act in that person and soften their heart. That's how conversion happens and it's how it happens with all of us. So it's, it really is useless to argue with someone because then the Holy Ghost isn't going to be present. And there is a difference between arguing and debating, but 
like too often I think we allow justification of what an argument versus debate is right and true missionary work is when it's when it's the spirit doing the work and we're just the vehicle allowing that to happen um in the words of uh, in the words of a famous high school student we're all in this together and the next verse that stuck out to me was alma 24 10 so a little further down but it says and i also thank my god yea my great god that he has granted unto us that we might repent of these things and also that he has forgiven us of those our many sins and murders which we have committed and taken away the guilt from our hearts through the merits of his son and I, the, the thought that stuck out there so essentially so that means it is possible to be forgiven of murder right and i don't know all the things here uh it, this is just something that i was thinking about right we talk about how um there's the unpardonable sin which is the denying the holy ghost and then murder and then uh, breaking the law of chastity uh, kind of the ranking system of sins to avoid and I don't know the, I don't know God's kind of judgment here, but to me, what stands out is like, he, he says he's forgiven us for our many sins and murders. And so at least it opens the door then that there is forgiveness for murder in some sense, right? I don't know the full law there. And then in Alma 24, 19, once again, further down, it says, and thus we see that when these Lamanites were brought to believe and to know the truth, they were firm and would suffer even unto death rather than commit sin. And I love that. Uh, it goes on, but I love that part, right? They would suffer even unto death. That's true conversion, that that they would prefer to follow after God, even over their own life. And and I love that. And I think it's a little funny if you keep reading in 19, it says, and thus we see that they buried their weapons of peace or they buried their weapons of war for peace. Uh, clearly writing in the plates like uh, either Alma or Mormon or Ammon, whoever had been writing here, and I assume it was Mormon since he was compiling, but like he was writing and once you, once you write, it's permanent. And so he's in the plates and he's like, and thus we see they buried their weapons of peace. And then he's like, wait, no, 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 it wasn't weapons of peace. <laughs> and so then he has to like, be like, or they buried their weapons of war for peace. And I just think that's funny. Right. Uh, and to me, that's one of the minor things that helps back up. Obviously my testimony that Joseph Smith translated the book of Mormon versus wrote the book of Mormon. Cause if he had written it, he could have just crossed that out and then written it correctly. Um, but obviously, if he was translating, then that's how it would have been written. So just a small thing there, and not that that should be the basis of faith. Just kind of a fun little thing. And then, in, okay, so let's move on to the next chunk. It says, uh, serving the Lord brings joy. Despite their different experiences, Ammon and Alma expressed similar feelings about their missionary labors. Consider reading Alma 26 and 29 and comparing them. What similarities do you notice? What words and phrases are re repeated? What can you learn from Ammon and Alma about how to find true joy in spite of your challenges um, and then to review the challenges Alma faced? See the chapter headings from Alma 5 to 16. To review the challenges of Ammon and his brethren, see the chapter headings of Alma 17 to 28. So once again, some verses stuck out. I didn't actually go and compare um, like in an in-depth study because I didn't want to. So instead, I just am going to point out some verses that stuck out to me that I like. So the first one is Alma 26, verse 3. It says, Behold, I answer for you, for our brethren, the Lamanites were in darkness, yea, even in the darkest abyss. But behold, how many of them are brought to the, behold the marvelous light of God. And this is the blessing which has been bestowed upon us, that we have been made instruments in the hands of God to bring about this great work. That is 
the goal of all of us is to be an instrument in the hands of God. At least that's my goal. And if we're following the commandments and following after Christ, then we're worthy to be an instrument in his hand. And as we're doing that, it gives us purpose and it gives us meaning. And to me, that's like the greatest gift. In Alma 26, 27, a different one that stuck out to me, it says, Now when our hearts were depressed and we were about to turn back, behold, the Lord comforted us and said, Go amongst thy brethren, the Lamanites, and bear with patience thine afflictions, and I will give you success. And what sticks out to me there is that if we follow God's will, he will bless us even when we're suffering. And it's almost even through our sufferings that we're blessed, right? And so to remember that when you're going through trials, that if we bear with patience our afflictions, God will give us success. Now it's going to be what success looks like, you know, to him, the true success. And that may involve, you know, changing our way of thinking, but that like should bring us joy, I think. At least to me it does. Alma 26, 33 to 34 says, uh, And now, behold, I say unto you, has there been so great love in all the land? Behold, I say unto you, nay, there is not even among the Nephites. For behold, they would take up arms against their brethren. They would not suffer themselves to be slain. But behold, how many of these have laid down their lives that we know that they have gone to their God because of their love and their hatred to sin. And once again, I just love that that is the conclusion of Ammon's thoughts to their labor that God did give them success, so much success that they were even more converted than the Nephites were. And just how awesome of a feeling that would have been. In the next chunk, it said, uh, actually, no, not in the next chunk, because there was nothing I had to add from the next chunk. So instead, we're going to go to the next section, Ideas for Families, Scripture Study and Family Home Evening, and let's go to the first chunk there. It says Alma 24, 6 to 19. Uh, why did the anti-Nephi-Lehi's bury their weapons deep in the earth? And then it talks about an activity you can do. We changed that activity for our family, for Flynn, to make it kind of fun for him. We had him get all of his toys that are weapons. We actually found out that we have no toys. <laughs> like Flynn has no weapon toys kind of thing. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but he has none. Anyway, so we had to kind of like make up what toys were weapons and which weren't. Like we had dinosaurs. I was like, oh, those are weapons because they're dangerous. Anyway, you get it. We took a bag of his toys and then we created a like spot of dirt on our living room carpet using pillows because lex has so many throw pillows and uh and then we did this little lesson about burying our weapons which is similar to burying our sins and then we helped flynn bury his weapons and even maggie joined in the fun and grabbed some of the toys and threw them into the pillows and stuff it was it was really fun i don't think they got it but that's okay they're involved and we're trying and that's the uh, that's the point of all of it anyway it was a fun lesson and uh, yeah, it was a good time. I liked it. So to answer the question, though, why did they bury their weapons, the anti-Nephi-Lehi's? To me, it was the example of conversion. Um, obviously, if you just put your sins down, it's a little bit, like, it's easier to pick them back up again. They literally had to bury their weapons, and that was a, a sign and a covenant to God that they wouldn't pick them back up. And that's what we should do with our sins, right? Um, obviously as the lesson mentions, our sins are going to be different than the ones they committed. Like I highly doubt any of you are going around killing people, but if so, uh, well, that's a problem. That's actually just a huge problem, but you know what I mean? It's, uh, typically our sins are, are those of a, either a spiritual or not as public of a nature. And so 
bury those. Do whatever it takes to bury your sins and follow that example. And that was something that stuck out to me. And I don't have any other thoughts that I want to add from the rest of the section. So that was kind of the only one that stuck out for me, at least, from the, the family part. But there were a bunch of scriptures that I had that I love. So let's go to those. Give me one second. You're going to hear a page flip. Perfect. Okay, so the first one is in Alma 24. Alma 24, verse 5. It says, Now when Ammon and his brethren and all those who had come up with him saw the preparations of the Lamanites to destroy their brethren, they came forth to the land of Midian, and there Ammon met all his brethren. And from thence they came to the land of Ishmael, uh, that they might hold a council with Lamona and also his brother Antinephi-Lehi, what they should do to defend themselves against the Lamanites. And just the thought there of all the things that happened is that, like, something I recognize is you cannot peacefully preach the gospel and teach correct principles without stirring up, stirring up the forces of evil. Like, Satan is on the other side. He's seeing this. He does not want this to happen. So he isn't just going to let you peacefully preach the gospel. It doesn't happen. Um, but don't back down from your righteousness because it doesn't appear to be the road to peace. Um, like Christ said when he came to this earth that he was not here to preach, uh, to create peace, but he was here for the righteous. And that's, that's not the verbatim scripture. So that's my bad, but you know what I mean? Like that's, this is the great division of our heavenly family is, will we choose righteousness and will we choose God or will we choose evil and will we choose Satan? Um, so in that way, we are certainly divided, but I don't think all these other things that seem to be dividing us now need to be the actual divisions amongst us. It needs to be, are we choosing righteousness or are we choosing, uh, wickedness? So if you feel like, you know, you're trying to do good and preach righteousness and then you feel like people are attacking you or slandering you or whatever, don't get discouraged recognize that that's going to happen because this is an actual war that we're fighting. The next one was in Alma 24, 22, which reads, And thus, without meeting any resistance, they did slay a thousand and five of them, and we know that they are blessed, for they have gone to dwell with their God. Uh, I just think it's interesting how death is viewed here. Um, obviously, this would have been a horribly sorrowful event to lose thousands, but the way they looked at it uh, here is that they recognized it was their choice, number one, to lay down their life. Also, death wasn't something to fear, but instead to prepare for. And they knew that because they were prepared to meet God, they went to, to dwell with God, which is a really cool way to look at death, I think. Uh, it's not something to be feared. And then in verse 30 of 24, it says, And thus we can plainly discern that after people have once uh, have been once enlightened by the Spirit of God and have had great knowledge of things pertaining to the right to righteousness, and then have fallen away into sin and transgression, they become more hardened, and thus their state becomes worse than, than though they had never known these things. This is talking about the uh, Amalekites and Amulonites. And that's my greatest fear. That right there is what scares me the most, is that it won't be those that didn't know the truth. It'll be those that did and then have fallen away. And I have seen this amongst friends who were once extremely strong in the gospel and over time are no longer, and they have become true adversaries to the church and their friends and their testimony. And uh, it's been heartbreaking. And so that's one of the things that scares me the most anyway, is why I want to make sure that I keep 
going because I feel like I know too much to fall away from me at this point. I would definitely be a horrible adversary to the church, and I don't want that. In Alma 25, 2, this is a small thing, but it says, But they took their armies and went over into the borders of the land of Zarahemla, talking about the Lamanites, and it says, And fell upon the people who were in the land of Ammonihah and destroyed them. So this is where we see the timeline sync up with Alma 16, 9. Um, and it's been 11 years since the reign of the judges. So this is where, right, the chapters, the stories of Amma and Ammon and Alma line up. Just a small thing, doesn't matter, but I thought that was kind of cool. In verse 5, it says, And the remainder, having fled into the east wilderness and having uh, usurped pow the power and authority over the Lamanites, caused that many of the Lamanites should perish by fire because of their belief. This was the fulfillment of um, Abinadi's prophecy. And just something that stuck, sticks out here to me is that God will fulfill his words no matter how many years pass away. So remember that, that if there's a promised blessing to you out there and you haven't seen it yet, do not lose faith because God will fulfill his promises. In Alma 26.10, it says, And it came to pass that when Ammon had said these words, his brother Aaron rebuked him, saying, Ammon, I fear that thy joy doth carry thee away unto boasting. Thank heavens for siblings and friends who like make sure to try and keep us in check, you know. Um, because that's what we all need. We need someone to keep us in check and make sure that we're not like getting carried away into boasting. Although Ammon's response is freaking awesome. But uh, I won't go on with that one. But in Alma 26.16-17, it says, Therefore let us glory, yea, we will glory in the Lord, yea, we will... Rejoice, for our joy is full. Yea, we will praise our God forever. Behold, who can glory too much in the Lord? The verse goes on. However, that's the part I like the most <laughs> because it's a funny question. Like, who can glory too much in the Lord? Um, yeah, I don't think it's possible. And then in verse 17, it says, Who could have supposed that our God would have been so merciful as to have snatched us from our awful, sinful, and polluted state? And just thinking about, that's what I was saying in the beginning, that I need to show more compassion to everyone else. And believe that we're all f capable of changing. Because if I stop believing that, I stop believing in the gospel. And I that, that's the good news. The gospel is the good news that anyone can change. And at any time. In, ver in uh, 26, 23, it says, Now, do you remember my brethren that we said unto our brethren in the land of Zarahemla, we go up to the land of Nephi to preach unto our brethren, the Lamanites, and they laughed us to scorn. This was kind of in the introduction. But I just thing that I thought about here was like, I need to be prepared for my friends to mock my efforts. And more importantly, be the friend that doesn't mock someone else for trying to, to do what God has asked them to do. And that can be hard sometimes because we, we look at things through our lens of perspective, but uh, be open-minded to whatever God's telling someone else to do. Um, obviously within the confines of the gospel and the scriptures, but yeah. And then in Alma 27, Verse 18 and 19 says, Now was not this exceeding joy? Behold, this is joy which none receiveth, say it be the truly penitent and humble seeker of happiness. Now the joy of Alma in meeting his brethren was truly great, and also the joy of Aaron and of Omner and Himni. But behold, their joy was not that to exceed their strength. <laughs> and, okay, so clearly Ammon and Alma were like besties, and then everyone else was like, they were good friends, but not like as I Maybe I shouldn't say clearly, but to me, it's like pretty obvious if, if the, those were the only two that were like overly abundantly like full of joy that they're passing out it's probably because they were best friends and then everyone else was like good friends anyway and then in 27 28 and they did look upon shedding the blood of their brethren with the greatest abhorrence and they never could be prevailed upon to take the arms against their brethren and they never did look upon death with any degree of terror and i'll stop there it goes on but like they didn't fear death and how much of a like strength that was to them 
It, like, it must have been, right? If you don't fear death, uh, think of all the things that you can do and also think of the faith you have to have in God. Knowing that, I mean, because part of the reason we fear death is because we're not prepared to meet God. And so they weren't, they weren't fearful at all because they were prepared. In 28, 13. Oh, sorry, a little out of breath. It says, and thus we see how great the inequality of man is because of sin and transgression and the power of the devil, which comes by the cunning plans, which he hath devised to ensnare the hearts of men. This scripture is so prevalent right now with everything going on in the world. This scripture, um, and it's funny, I, I watched a video where a cop was arguing, was a, yeah, was arguing with a, a protester and just starts throwing this one out. Uh, not this verse. I, I don't. I don't think they were a Latter-day Saint. But just saying how it's sin that divides us. It's sin that creates inequality and, and all those things. And I think it's a true statement, obviously, because it's in the Book of Mormon. But just how, I mean, man, I'm telling you guys, come follow me is inspired. It's perfect for our time right now with what's happening. And Alma 29, verse 3 but behold, I am a man and do sin in my wish, for I ought to be content with all with the things which the Lord hath allotted unto me. And I think this is something we could, This is, so this is Alma's, um, you know, oh, that I were an angel speech. And I love this. It's amazing. But isn't that something we all suffer, like struggle with? That, you know, we wish for things greater than we have now. We, we have these desires and learning to be grateful and to... Be content with the things that God's allotted to us. I know I struggle with this at least. And Alma teaches us right here how to overcome that, which is to be grateful and and be be grateful that we are an instrument in God's hands where we are. So it's not about the calling we have. It's not about the... Um, it's just not about all those things, right? It's not about prominence or, or anything. It's about are we doing what God wants... And are we where God wants us to be and, and so on and so forth. That's where true joy comes from. Finally, 29.14. This, this is where I'll end. But, but I do not joy in my own success alone, but my joy is more full because of the success of my brethren who have been up to the land of Nephi. And that's another great lesson, which is celebrate other successes. Just because they're not yours, celebrate them. Be grateful. And it makes you a, a, like a more joyous person to be around. It makes you someone that people want to be friends with. But not just that, that is the pattern that we'll, we'll have to live by in the celestial kingdom, which is um, celebrating one another and, and obviously not being jealous or, you know, wishing that we had what someone else has and, and all those things. I think as we do those, we overcome great, great temptations that Satan delivers to us. So those are my thoughts from this week. And I, like I said, I love, I love Ammon. I love Alma. This whole, this, you know, last week's lessons, this week's lesson have been some of my favorites. So much has stuck out to me and especially in the scriptures. But uh, thanks for joining this family room discussion. And if you have any additional insights or questions, share them with me. And other than that, have a blessed week.